Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're starting in the first four verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Father, we thank you for all you're doing in our midst. We thank you for that time of worship and song and and that time of worship and and financial offerings. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to support so many missionaries. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in Russia, in Ukraine, in those surrounding nations. Give them supernatural boldness to take a stand for you, Father. We also pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being held captive. And maybe this very day, they will be martyred. Lord, we pray that you give them supernatural strength, supernatural boldness, that they'll proclaim Jesus is God till the very end, that their captors might come to know Jesus as their Savior, as Saul did, Father. So we pray a special anointing upon them this morning. Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching and that you'll be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we read verse 4 there, it it can be kind of confusing. And so we're going to break down these four verses, but we're going to zero in on verse 4. You see, this is Paul's typical greeting in his letters, first of all, in verses 1 and 2. So as we go verses 1 and 2, he was an apostle. An apostle is one who is sent. We still have apostles today in the sense of those who are sent to establish churches, uh, well, I, was on, I was assistant pastor with Pastor John uh, at Calvary Chapel Tri-City, and he was the first Calvary in Arizona. And he went down to, to Tucson and then up to uh, Flagstaff, and he went to uh, Prescott and Payson. And during the week, he would go and do small Bible studies, and then men would be raised up who desired to be a pastor, and then he would turn those Bible studies over to those pastors. And many of the churches in Arizona today, I think we have like 48 Calvaries in, in Arizona. Many of those churches, John helped start, uh, I think it was 78 when he came, when he was the first Calvary in Arizona. So many of those churches were started in the late 70s, early 80s. But there are only 14 original apostles who had seen the Lord. God specifically used these apostles to spread the message of Jesus being the Christ and to establish the doctrine. Yes, doctrine is vital. The doctrine of the Christian church. Once doctrine was established, which we have via the New Testament, there's no further need of apostles in that original sense. This obviously eliminates any type of teaching of carrying on a 
apostleship or apostolic ministry. And yes, there are Christian churches, there are churches, let me rephrase that, there are churches under the banner of Christian that will emphasize apostolic ministry and you, they're cults, many of them are cults, you need to submit to their authority. They will tell you who you can date, who you can marry, uh, where you can work, so forth and so on. You need to go to them to make sure that your life is on the up and up. Totally unscriptural. So what does Paul start out with? Well, let's look at the verse. Paul, an apostle, so one who is sent, of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in, in all Achaia, grace to you and peace. These are the, called the Siamese twins of the New Testament. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul starts out with grace and peace. This is so important. And again, I'm here to disciple you. I'm not here to give you a cute little story and a cute little gospel and send you to hell. If you're here and you don't know Jesus this morning, you need Jesus as your Savior. If you do not have Jesus as your Savior, you are going to hell. I want to warn you of that. But you can go to heaven and receive salvation. It's a free gift. And that's grace and peace. See, you cannot grasp the grace of God without understanding the peace of God, without understanding the grace of God. And here's the definition of grace. It's unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. That's what grace is. Now, I don't know about you, but I was raised in a religion where I didn't understand and even grasp grace. I had no idea what grace was because uh, God might love me if I did enough good things for him to love me, to give him reason to love me. Well, that's not grace at all. In Ephesians 1, 7, we read this. In whom we have redemption through his blood. All of us believers in this room have come to that place of realizing, okay, I cannot be good enough. (laughs) I'm just a sinner. I need a savior. And so we've gotten to that place where I need forgiveness. How do I get that forgiveness? By going to the cross. By going to the cross. And so, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Guys, every single person today, if, as we're approaching 8 billion people, if all at one time, all 8 billion people decided to receive Jesus as their Savior, all 8 billion people could be saved. Even though they're atheists, or Muslims, or Hindus, or Catholics, or whatever, if they truly repented and wanted to receive Jesus as their Savior, God would receive them. That's what the church is all about. We, we don't exclude anybody. We invite people. That's the riches of his grace. You see, when we were unbelievers and heading to hell, we probably heard someone share with us that God has forgiven us of all our sins. And, and we didn't understand that. As an unbeliever, I didn't understand that. You really can't, apart from the Holy Spirit. And some of us might have even mocked that person. But the more the Holy Spirit reminded us of that fact, now the Holy Spirit wasn't within us, but the Holy Spirit was around us, para, and the Holy Spirit is wooing us to the cross, even to this day, the Holy Spirit is wooing all 8 billion people in their own language to the cross. The Holy Spirit never gives up. Reminding us of that fact, the more we desired it, that total forgiveness that only comes from God. You see, once you and I receive his forgiveness, we start to learn about his grace towards us. And as we grew in our understanding of God's grace in our lives and in the lives of others, we started to grow in our understanding of God's forgiveness. You see, they go hand in hand. They're they're inseparable. 
Now, as we grow in our understanding of God's forgiveness, we grow in our understanding of the peace of God. And we end up learning just how much God pours out his, unfor- his forgiveness upon us. And this brings us to that place of having, again, the peace of God. Well, do you have a scripture for that? Revelations 5, 1 and 2. And don't worry, we use our Bibles here. You're going to get to it. But for time, we do put up a lot of scriptures. Therefore, having been justified, and that word justified, we could say forgiven. I'm not giving you the definition of justification because that's not the definition. But we could say forgiven. You've been forgiven of all your sins. By faith... Not by works, by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you don't have peace with God, the only way you're going to get it is by receiving Jesus as your Savior. It's not about punching the clock and coming to church. It's not about saying so many rosary prayers. It's not about giving more money, knocking on more doors. None of that works. None of that. It's only by faith. Verse 2, through whom also we have access by faith. Notice faith there. Into this, what? Grace. Grace. In which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. An acronym for grace, you could say, would be, and I didn't write this down, but uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, it's a personal relationship with God that brings these things all together. Religion will stress that you can have the peace of God if you just do enough of this or if you just do enough of that. Then then God will love you. Or if you just worship Mother Earth. New age is growing and it's even creeping into the church. Be very careful. You see, the peace that this world offers, though, is a peace that is dependent upon what mankind can do for God. Every religion, it's based upon that. Or for themselves, the new age. And not what God has already done for mankind. For mankind, all of his creation. You see, it's a false peace that has led billions of people down the road of frustration in which they end up having no peace at all because they do not understand the grace of God. It's it's all about the grace of God through forgiveness so that we might have peace with God. So if you don't understand the grace of God, you're not going to understand the peace of God through faith alone. You see, there was a bumper sticker, and I used to have bumper stickers all over my car when I was in the 70s. I was one of those Jesus freaks. And uh, it came out in the 80s, and it makes perfect sense. Know Jesus? Notice that, K-N-O-W. You know Jesus? You're going to know peace. Know Jesus? You don't have Jesus? You don't care about Jesus? Yeah, I know of him in my head. But, you know, I'll get to, I'll get to heaven on my own. I'm okay. I'm not that bad. <laughs> you don't have Jesus. Know Jesus? No peace. You're not going to have peace. What peace? The peace of God. And that's what everyone's seeking after. How about verses 3 and 4? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blessed there means, in the Greek, to, be, to speak well of. To speak well of. To praise. Keep that in mind, because we're going to get into some prickly things here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's almost a a tongue twister. It's so important to see and understand, for we see that as Christians, we are going to have tribulations. Notice that in verse 4. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. And in the midst of those tribulations, we should be able to speak well of God. So again, remember, let's look at that again, that definition, definition of blessed. It means to speak well of, to speak well of. Blessed be the God and Father. These are two verses that Claude and I memorized decades ago and have applied to our marriage over and over and over again. You'll see why as, as we unwrap this. We should be able to speak well of God and to praise him. Why? Because he will bring us through every tribulation. Well, how do I know that? And I think there's a verse. I think there's at least one verse in the Bible uh, that some of you, if not all of you, have memorized, but we so often forget to apply it when we're going through a trial or a tribulation. And that's Romans 8, 28. And we think that all things work together for good. Hmm. Do we really know? Or do we really, do we just think? Well, yeah. Man, I hope God works this out. I don't see how he's going to do it. That's not knowing. Did you hear the word I used? That's hoping. I hope. I hope he can do something with this. I hope. Really? No. You you and I, we have to get to that place where when we memorize verses, we don't memorize them for the sake of memorization. We memorize them for the sake of our heart to be transformed by the word of God. We all have desperately wicked hearts. We were with a family this past week and, and the dad kept saying over and over again about his son, well, you know, I know he has a good heart. Well, I know he has a good heart. And I finally had to say to him, you know what? Your son does not have a good heart. Because the guy knows the word of God. He loves Jesus. And, and I knew what he was trying to say. But I said, no, we all have a, the Bible says we all have a desperately wicked heart. My heart's desperately wicked. How about yours? He goes, yeah, my heart's desperately wicked. Okay, I, I, yeah, you know what? You're right. My son does have a desperately wicked heart. But he's trying. Okay, well, great, great. I can agree with that. And how's he trying? And unfortunately, he's not trying the Christian things. And so it's not going to go well for him. And we know that all things work together for good. Do you know that? To those who love God. So again, those who love God. There, there's a condition there. If you're out living in sin and something happens... Don't expect God to come to your rescue. You're going to reap what you sowed. Now, God will forgive you, and God can make good of it, but don't all of a sudden think it's all going to go away. It might take weeks, months, years. It may never go away. Do you know who was at David's deathbed? Does anybody know one gal's name who was at David's deathbed? Bathsheba. Bathsheba was at David's deathbed. She saw David die. So sometimes things don't go away. We have to deal with the reality of what took place by turning to God. And that's why the New Testament says that David was a man after God's own heart. He repented. He made it right with God. He didn't blame anybody but himself. To those who are called according to his purpose... 
And then there are those under the banner of Christianity. They try to convince us that we shouldn't have any negative confessions. I think I got a headache today. Oh, no, no, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. Well, I got a headache. I need some aspirin. No, you no, no. You just need God. No, I, I got God. I need some aspirin. <laughs> and if God wants to heal me, praise God. If he wants to use the aspirin, praise God. I got no issues with that. When they shot up my arm to do this little three-inch incision, I was very happy for the local. I was like, <laughs> and all of a sudden, I started to wear it off. I went, ah. He goes, oh, you felt that? Yeah. And let me give you some more then. Praise God. I'm not a... Thank God for modern medicine. I, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't think anything bad will ever happen to us as Christians because if we think it, it's a lack of faith. It's a lack of misunderstanding your position of Christ. You're, you're a child of the king. Nothing bad can happen to you. Really? They obviously have not read the whole word of God. Let's look at Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And so the team does a great job. They always put up a slide. So if you're newer visiting, the little white rectangle with the arrow, that's roughly where you're going to find it in your Bible. So that's in the Old Testament. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. 27 in the New. And then there's two books before, two books after. And so just start thumbing through there. And I encourage you to have a paper Bible. So important when they shut your phone off you'll still have your Bible and you'll get used to knowing where the books are. For example, there were three young adults named Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their Hebrew names, better known as who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're a child of the king. So you're not going to go through any troubles. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, Daniel 13, you can read the whole chapter to get the context, but for our study this morning, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke. Now this is Nebuchadnezzar. This is a, a, I think they call it a monarch. If he says you die, you die. It doesn't go to the Supreme Court. It doesn't go to any jury. He just rules and reigns supreme. You die, you die. You're set free, you're set free. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from, notice this, my hands. I have total authority, my hands. But notice what these young believers did. And so thankful for the testimony this morning taking place at ASU. The young believers or potential young believers planting those seeds, fertilizing and watering. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, if we die, 
Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Notice these young people. Young people, you better learn to take a stand because our government is collapsing. And they are doing things that make absolutely no sense, no scientific sense, none of that nonsense. It's just, it's all nonsense, I mean. It's absolutely incredible. And you as a young adult have to take a stand. Adults, you have to take a stand as well. Because your young ones are going to want to take a stance against you. And you better be ready with the scriptures. Having that biblical world view. Marriage is between one genetic male, one genetic female. We've had this discussion with our kids. That's the only way it's going to be. You want it some other way? Mm, not going to happen. You need to have that biblical worldview. And you better be ready to quote chapter, verse. So if they hadn't been there, if these three young Israelites who were taken captive from Jerusalem, if they hadn't been there to go through the trial or tribulation, then they would not have been there to minister unto Nebuchadnezzar. Think of the bigger picture. The bigger picture. They're ministering unto a king who has total authority. They're young. They're talking to someone who can say, dead. What would you do in that case? They were ready. They were prayed up. Whom I believe eventually got saved. I believe Nebuchadnezzar's in heaven. In these verses, we see the very important principle of finding comfort in God. You see, they found their comfort in God. Not in Daniel. Not in being a Jew. But in knowing God. God's going to take care of us, Nebuchadnezzar. You know, if if we go in there, he'll he'll deliver us. And if not, we die. Hey, what's the difference? We go to heaven. Let's see, heaven, 110 in Arizona. Heaven, 110 in Arizona. (laughs) Eh, you know. You see, in these verses, again, it's a very important principle. I know I already said it, but this is a biblical principle of finding comfort of God and in God. So that we might comfort someone else down this road of life. That's what verse 4 is saying. Sounds really confusing, but when you start to hear this, hopefully I'll help you make it sense. You see, Jesus was in the fire with these three young men. As you read the story, Nebuchadnezzar, sorry, didn't we, hey, didn't we throw three in there? Yes, king, we threw three. And the soldiers that threw them in died instantly. I, I, I see four. And that one looks like the son of man. Who was that? Christophany, parents of Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus was in the fire with these three young men, comforting them over what was taking place. And when they came out of the fire, they didn't even smell like smoke. Nebuchadnezzar, that impacted his life. And I truly believe, as you read later on in Daniel, I truly believe that Nebuchadnezzar came to know God. And he's in heaven to this very day. Back in Corinthians. You see, as we look back in our verses, the obvious emphasis in these verses is comfort and not tribulation. But again, if we don't understand the principle of going through tribulations, not going around, but going through tribulations, then we will not understand our need for the comfort of God. I'm emphasizing that. Comfort of God. You see, how does the believer as well as the unbeliever try to find comfort Think about this right now today in your life or in someone else's life in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. How do they try to find comfort when they go through a trial, a test, or a tribulation? What what do you see them do? You see some, they'll turn to alcohol to try to find comfort. Or they'll 
turn to drugs. Or they'll try sex, any type of sex. Or maybe they'll turn to pornography. How about diving deeper into a career? You know, if I just lose myself in my career and I get a lot more money, then I'll have that comfort that I'm trying to find. Or maybe taking care of the kids. Maybe your marriage isn't doing well and, you know, if I just love the kids more, you know, I'll find my, I'll find my comfort in my kids. You know, my marriage isn't doing good, but the kids will give me that comfort I need. It's not the comfort of God. Some will go down the road of separating themselves from everyone. Just getting away from everything. You know, if I just don't have anybody around me on the one extreme or making it a point to be around others constantly. They can't be alone. They're afraid to be alone. You see, people try to find comfort in, and that's just a few ways, but various ways, but unfortunately, they still end up in turmoil or discomfort because they're not looking to the author of comfort. Guys, this is a biblical principle. This is not just a Bible study. This is a biblical principle that I try to do. I only have 40 to 45 minutes with you for discipleship. Can't do you individually. I I do do that, but it's not going to happen. So please understand, it's not just a Bible study. This is a biblical principle. And if you don't have comfort, take it to heart where you're finding your comfort at. You need to find it in the word of God. The saddest way to find comfort is when a person attempts to commit suicide, which in the last two years has been on the rise. And if that's you this morning, God loves you and never wants you to do that. Those thoughts are from the pit of hell. You're made in the image of God. He would never desire you to take your life. So if that's you and you're thinking about that or you've thought about that or you've tried that, God loves you. I want you to know God loves you. God forgives you. Reach out. We're here to help you. Or that person that succeeds, you know, they just think, well, everybody will be better off if I'm not around. Everyone will have peace and everyone will have comfort if I'm not around. They bring no comfort to themselves and tremendous discomfort to others. And I have sat with several. Now, I'm not going to say many because it's not many, but I have sat sat with several people who have had a loved one take their life. And I just want you to know they have found no comfort in that. They've had a lot of questions, but they didn't find comfort. But as we went to the word of God, they were able to find some comfort and they had to work out that situation in their life via the word of God. Again, let's look at Romans chapter five. We looked at the first two verses. Let's look at all, let's look at five verses this time. Romans five, one through five. Therefore, having been justified by faith, just as if I'd never sinned, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 5, verse 3. And not only that, I mean, if that's not enough, isn't that amazing? And not only that, you know, we have peace. It's all by faith. We have grace. We're standing up. But not only that, what does Paul go on to say? We also glory in tribulations. Now, you're not going to find this at a health and wealth church. They're not going to go over this verse. That's negative. Don't talk about that. No, it's reality. Knowing what? Now, Paul teaches another principle here. 
knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. The, the word tribulation is pressure, a pressing together. Tribulation is pressure, a pressing together. Perseverance, cheerful or hopeful endurance. Not just enduring, but cheerful and hopeful endurance. Hmm. Knowing what? God works all things out together for the good. Melanoma? Everybody's going to die. Ten out of ten people still die. So what? I'm going to heaven. How about you? Praise God. Cheerful. That's the way God wants to take me home? Take me home. Praise God. Going to go home one way or another. But we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, again, perseverance, cheerful and hopeful endurance, Character. Character is defined as acceptable, approved. Acceptable, approved. Character, hope. Hope here is joyful expectation of coming good. Joyful expectation of coming good. Do you have that hope? Do I have that hope? That God can work all things out together for the good. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Back into Corinthians. You see, there are pressures in this life that come upon us all. And if you don't want tribulations, then don't get married. (laughs) Marriage has got to be the greatest tribulation on this earth. <laughs> and if you're honest with yourself and the rest of us and are laughing and agreeing on the inside, but you're afraid to agree on the outside, <laughs> we know you're agreeing. It's okay. You know that I'm speaking the truth. You see, there are tribulations that come with marriage. I mean, step back and look at it objectively. <laughs> you take two people. For us, example, we were both 21 years of age when we got married lived with our parents, went from our parents to our apartment, our first apartment. (laughs) You take two people with two unique personalities, 21 years of programming apiece, 21 years of programming. The hard drive was programmed of however many years, and you put them together under one roof, and you tell them to be happy. (laughs) Just just be happy. Are you serious? Are you serious? Oh my goodness. The, the enemy of our soul immediately starts to throw accusations against one another in their minds. And before you know it, they're wondering why they ever got married. Do you know why? Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. That's why your marriage is under attack and the attacks never stop. But there's a good side. Don't worry. Think about it. Here's audience participation. How many years of schooling does it take to become a doctor? Anybody want to throw a number at me? Eight to ten. Eight to ten years to become a doctor. Yeah. How about a dentist? (laughs) It's the same. It's incredible. And it should be. He's working with his fingers in your mouth. I mean, it's pretty important. Give you the wrong shot. That would hurt. How about a pilot? A pilot. Years, years and years. How about a school teacher? At least four years, right? At least four. How about a journeyman welder, plumber, electrician? 
seven to 10 years. So here's a question. How many classes does a person need to take? Just dropped it to get married. (laughs) That's it. Twink. (laughs) Zero. One of the most important institutions that anyone will ever enter into and you don't have, you can go to Vegas and get married by Elvis. <laughs> That'll be good. Yeah, we won't have any problems. Isn't that amazing, guys? You see, the fact is, without proper spiritual preparation, it usually doesn't work out well. But here's the good news with proper spiritual preparation, the trials will bond the two people together and they will learn. The true comfort of God. I'm not going to find my comfort in you. And you're not going to find my comfort in me. But you know what? When we find our comfort in God, and our own hearts get comforted, and we get right with God, then we can give each other that comfort that God has now given to us. That's what that verse is saying. But we have to go through the trial. We have to go through the tribulation. Our first two years were disaster. We were going to get divorced on our second anniversary. We went for counseling, and that's when I found out that Claudia wasn't the problem. I was the problem. And that's when Claudia learned that I wasn't the problem, that she was the problem. And that's when we started to get our eyes on Jesus instead of on one another. They'll bond you together. Then those trials, and this is what verse 3 and 4 are saying, then those trials will turn into a beautiful testimony. But are you willing to go through the trials? Unfortunately, statistically, the church is with, has been with the world for several decades now of at least 50% of couples getting divorced that get married in the church. Shouldn't, that shouldn't happen. I know, there's, I know and I know, no guilt, no condemnation. It shouldn't happen. I know it does happen, and we pray through that, but the word of God will comfort you. Now, marriage is just one form of tribulation. You see, there's the workplace, the family setting, the poor decisions that we make through the use of drugs or alcohol or sexual choices, works of the flesh. But God desires to show, what does it say there in Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter two, 1, verse 3, the Father of mercies. God wants to pour forth his mercies. And mercy means compassion through all of those decisions. God wants to pour forth his compassion. Not so that we can go out and make the same mistake again and again, but that we might receive comfort. So that our verse says that we might be used of God to comfort someone else. You see, our marriage, as I've already shared, was terrible in the beginning. But God comforted us, raising our kids. They didn't come with a manual. Yes, they did. We weren't reading it right. When we started reading it and applying it, things started to change in here. Stinking little sinners didn't change so quick, but the bigger sinner changed. See, it's all about my heart, not necessarily their heart. God, going through illnesses, wasn't easy, but God comforted us. And why? So that we might be able to comfort others with the same comfort that the Holy Spirit gave to us. That's what that verse is saying. A door for Claudia opened up widely five years ago when she was diagnosed with 
stage 2A breast cancer. And she has ministered to so many ladies since then. Because the ladies go, oh, you, you've had it? Been there, done that. Chemotherapy, lost all my hair, all her hair on every millimeter of her body. Radiation, surgeries, been there, done that. We go through it with God, and God can then use it to comfort somebody else because God first comforted me. But if I don't have comfort, if I'm whining, if I'm complaining, if I'm griping, and somebody needs comfort, do you think I'm going to be of any value? They're going to want to get away from me ASAP. But when I allow God to do that work in my heart, all of a sudden people stop. And they lit and they, well, how did you find your comfort? And they're probably, you know, thinking it's going to, well, alcohol or drugs or that. God. 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 It's very simple. Yes, so many believers don't do the obvious. You see, we find the comfort of God by being in the Word of God on a daily basis. Here's the question How can I find the comfort of God? Now that we've done all this, you might be asking that question. Well, Romans 15, 4 says this For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Are you learning daily? Are you in the Word of God daily? I I am, not for you, for me. I still need to learn at 62. I still got things to learn. That we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, where are you finding your comfort at? Your career, your 401k? (laughs) I listened to a guy yesterday who was recently retired, and uh, he was talking to somebody, and that person asked him, how's it going? He'd go, well... It was going well till the stock market went down 25%. I don't know how I'm doing now. Hmm. Where's your comfort? That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. We can also find the comfort of God through prayer. And I know that we could all do more of that, myself included. Just knowing that God longs to hear from me is comforting in and of itself. Asking, seeking, knocking for more of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told us to do that who is called the comforter, by the way. Hanging around like-minded believers is crucial, for as we just read, God will use other people's testimonies to help comfort us. And that's what this verse says. God comforts us so that we might comfort one another. Notice at the end of verse 4 there, because it is a tongue twister, and sometimes it's just hard to figure out, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. And for 35 years now, we've been able to comfort marriages. We've discipled seven to 800 couples probably and we'd be able to comfort them with the word of God and a personal testimony. What they do with it, they do with it. But God has used that. How is God using you? How is God using you? With the comfort which we ourselves are comforted of God. So as you go through it, God will comfort you and then God will use you. He'll use you as a gathering like this or in a home fellowship or a men's or a ladies' Bible study, a mentorship program. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. Now, I know again, when we get together, what, do we offer, what have we often been doing the last two years? <laughs> Talking about the Center for Deceit Control. That's our first conversation, right? <clears throat> Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. You know, we went, when we went away, gas was $5. When we came back, it was five twenty. I think that's called hyperinflation, but they're afraid to admit it's inflation. Guys, it's hyperinflation. But we have to go down so the one world government can come together. Praise God. 
I find tremendous comfort in that because that just means Jesus is coming back. And edify one another just, notice this, just as you are doing. So there are so many ways that God graciously shares heavenly comfort. The question is, we'll wrap it up with this. Question for you, question for me. Am I willing to surrender my ways of finding comfort? Remember we talked about ways of finding, how are you finding comfort? I'd encourage you to think about that this week. Ask yourself, don't ask anybody else, just ask yourself. Do self-evaluation. Not to beat yourself up, not for condemnation. For maturing purposes, just ask yourself, how, how do I find my comfort? Where do I find my comfort at? Am I willing to sw- surrender my ways of finding comfort and, and seek after God's ways of giving? Jesus said, I'll never withhold the Holy Spirit if you ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Never. He'll give us that comfort. Father, we thank you and praise you that we don't have to beg. We don't have to plead. We don't have to work up a sweat. We don't have to go out and knock on doors, give more money, do all those various things that religion would try to tell us we have to do. No, we just need to come to the throne of grace that we might find help in our time of need. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word, as we sang this morning, I love that song. The word of God is. The word of God is. Father, I thank you that your word of God, we can stand on it. It will never fail. All of it will come to pass. We're going to see these things unfold quicker and quicker and quicker in these last days. But that's okay. Just help us to look up and find comfort in your word, knowing these things must take place, that we might comfort someone else this week who has maybe lost everything in the stock market or with a, <laughs> a cryptocurrency. Oh, so sad. How many people have lost so much in cryptocurrency over the last two weeks? And that was their hope. Lord, help us to be there for them. This is real stuff here. This is Christianity. We need to be in the ruts, in the trenches, rubbing elbows, so to speak, that we might lift their eyes to your throne room and give them a living hope, not a hope in the stock market, a living hope. Father, we pray that we'd be able to plant, water, fertilize this week. And Lord, if it's your will, that we'd be able to pray with someone to receive Jesus as our Savior. Use us, Lord, for your glory as we go out into our mission field. That's why you have us where we are, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in a store at certain times, changing a tire, whatever the case may be. Those are divine appointments, your word says, Ephesians 2.10. That we might walk in those divine appointments to be an ambassador for Christ. Use us this week, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.